So our scripture passage this morning is from Hebrews. It's the very first uh, two and a half verses of the New Testament book of Hebrews. It says, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of all things. Through him, he also created the world. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I have this um, love-hate relationship with a particular radio station that I listen to in my car. My kids know about it because I usually have this radio station on, and on more than one occasion I have heard the words from them, when I grow up or when I can drive, I am never going to listen to fill in the blank. So last Sunday, as I drove home from church, it was Easter last Sunday. I know it's been a full week, but it was Easter last Sunday. This radio station that I think is so wonderful had an interview with a guy who recorded a TED Talk called Atheism 201. This guy billed himself as a new kind of atheist, an atheist without hostility. He said, I'm a civil atheist because I believe that religion has much to offer the world that we should embrace. Things like Christmas carols and beautiful cathedrals and Old Testament stories And teaching through repetition. But he said, I just can't give intellectual assent to belief in God or in fairies. Is that civil to be disrespectful like that? I don't think that that's very civil. I want a TED talk on manners. But at any rate, at what point did religion become solely about intellectual ideas and tradition? And not about an ongoing relationship with a life-giving God. At some point when I wasn't looking, I think scripture must have become just a set of cute stories like fables with lessons to teach. Instead of real possible examples of what a faith-filled life looks like. There's this great book that I about. For many years, but just picked up this week by Dallas Willard called Hearing God. And in that book, Dallas Willard says that we should read the Bible with the assumption that the experiences recorded in the Bible are the same type of experiences as ours would be if we had been in that particular time and that particular place. That the people in the Bible feel much the same way that we would feel that they act much the same way as we would have act, that they're not superhuman, that the Bible is not a book about superheroes. We got that this week at our house. We got a pop-up book of superheroes with Batman and Superman. That's not the Bible. The Bible is a book about regular people who are in relationship with God. It's a book about people who are capable of hearing from God and that they thrive when they're in relationship with God. And it's a book of possibilities because we have that same possibility placed on our lives. 
We are capable of being in relationship with God and thriving when we walk daily with God. At the very end of the New Testament letter, James, uh, there are words to encourage the faithful to pray for each other. You're going to know and recognize these words. It's uh, chapter 5, verse 16, where James writes, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. But you might not know, verse 17 Verse 17 starts with these seven words. Elijah was a human being like us. I can just see the people who first heard those words. Elijah was a human being like us. Elijah, the holiest, most supernatural of prophets in the Old Testament, was just a human being like us. I can see them laughing and scoffing. But James seems to suggest, no, you can pray and see God act as Elijah prayed and saw God act. It worked for Elijah and it can work for you as well. If we don't read the Bible thinking that we can just plug ourselves into any given Bible situation, then the stories just become quaint, cute little stories that are probably boring. And if we don't keep the Bible stories in front of us, we don't see what relationship with God looks like, and then we probably won't hear from God ourselves. So I have one week about a few Bible situations where people heard from God, wondered what it would be like to be in those situations. First, I wondered what it would be like to be Moses. You know, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is keeping the flock of his father-in-law. And there's this bush that is burning, but the bush is not consumed. And that bush catches Moses' eye. He stops to see this great sight, is what the text says. The text says that when the Lord saw that Moses turned to see, God called to him from the shrub. God said, Moses... Moses and Moses said, here I am. And many words follow this initial scene between this initial exchange between Moses and God. But what's important to me in this scene is just the noticing. That there's something unusual and majestic that stops Moses and he notices. But nothing suggests that this scene is an overwhelming scene, that there's a great fire Or a booming voice, something that wants to control Moses, a force that's not to be resisted. Instead, God's presence is a curiosity, and God's voice is clear. Moses has a choice, and Moses chooses to stop and to hear. I also wondered this week, what would it be like to be Samuel? Also in chapter 3, but of a different Old Testament book, 1 Samuel, there's this story of the boy Samuel who hears God's voice in the night. Samuel is lying down in the temple where the Ark of the Covenant is kept, and he hears a voice call his name, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel goes into Eli, the priest's room, because he thinks Eli is calling him, and he says, here I am. You called for me. 
This happens three times before Eli gets it. And Eli tells Samuel, if you hear the call again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So then the text says that the Lord came and stood there by Samuel, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel responds as Eli guided him, instructed him. And the Lord tells Samuel about Israel. So two things here for me. This is another story about God calling someone's name twice. In Exodus 3, God says, Moses, Moses. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 3, Samuel, Samuel. God is so personal when he speaks to us, so specific. I like that God doesn't call people young man or buddy or pal, but instead speaks directly to them. When I first started working here at the church, I think it was about 17 or 18 years ago, the church secretary at the time was adjusting to working for a new senior pastor. David had just been here two or three years. And I remember a conversation that she and I had about how different it was to work for David than it was to work for the previous senior pastor, Jack Hooper. She said, and I've heard this from other people too, that Jack was very gregarious. That Jack was very outgoing and he greeted everyone. He greeted everyone who came into the church offices. He greeted them as if they were his own guest. Even if he didn't know them, he would say, hello, friend. And they believed that they were his friend. But David, and I see this working with David, David thinks that nobody is in the office to see him. It doesn't ever intrude on a conversation that's going on in the offices. But I found in most every case, David knows our names. David knows who we are. And I think both are very godly men. Don't hear me wrong here. But I do believe that most of the time the divine presence doesn't intrude on our lives. But knows exactly who I am. Knows my name knows my life very personally. And the other thing I see in this scripture story is that I've wondered about the relationship between Samuel and Eli, his mentor, Eli. Samuel, I think, would have missed the message altogether had he not had Eli's help. Eli had that missing information that Samuel needed to hear from God. And it reminds me that we often need one another To help us respond to God's call. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians at the very end of what we call the first letter of Corinthians in the New Testament, he writes this long discourse, and some say it's the pinnacle of that letter, 1 Corinthians, on the body of Christ. How the parts of the body of Christ need one another, that the spiritual gifts need one another, that some prophesy and some discern that some speak in tongues and some interpret. And I have to tell you that I am so very thankful that I have friends that I can say, I think I'm hearing God say this, or I've had this experience, or I've had someone ask me this question, what do you think that means? I even have friends who who don't wait for me to say, what do you think that means? But they tell me what they think that means. They give me the meaning. In the pastor's meeting this week, I was helped by Adam Schindler, who's a 
a worship pastor out at Riverside, and he said that hearing God has two parts. Collecting the data and processing the data. Collecting and processing. So it's the processing where I really have to rely heavily on the body of Christ. I know that this is like preaching to the choir this morning, but it occurred to me that this is one of the reasons why we come to church. This is one of the reasons why we need the body of Christ, why we can't do religion off by ourselves on the golf course or at the coast. But when we hear from God, we need the body of Christ to help us interpret what those words are about. I wondered this week what it would be like to be Elisha. There's this great story about Elisha in 2 Kings where he's summoned by the kings of Israel, Judah, and Edom. And the kings want Elisha to ask the Lord about water for the armies and the animals. And Elisha's a little put out by the request. So what Elisha does is he asks for, get this, a musician. He asks for a musician to come. And a musician comes and begins playing. And then the power of the Lord comes upon Elisha. And he begins to talk to the kings about where this much-needed water will come from. So something that's curious to me in this story is that God's message would be summoned or God's message would be welcomed by music. I think we experience that in how we worship. Music clears our minds. It makes our hearts. It creates in our hearts an open place where we can receive God's word. But it's interesting to me that it's not a modern phenomenon. I think I believed that we had invented that for ourselves. We didn't design it ourselves. It didn't even come about during the Enlightenment or by chanting monks in the first few centuries of the church. But instead, it goes back even further. In the New Testament, there is this story about a disciple named Ananias. Do you know this story? It's in Acts. Ananias lives in Damascus. And the Lord says to him, Ananias, get up and go to the house of a man named Judas to look for a man named Saul. Saul has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him that he might have his sight. Ananias' response to the Lord's call is, I've heard of this man, Saul. I've heard of him and how much he persecutes the disciples in Jerusalem. But the Lord says, go, for Saul is the instrument that I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel. So Ananias goes, and he lays his hands upon Saul, and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what if the Lord tells you to do something that you don't want to do? I think that's highly probable. Something that's dangerous. Something that you fear. What then? Much of the rest of the New Testament is a testimony to the fact that the Holy Spirit moved powerfully through Paul. But there is this step that has to be first taken by Ananias. So when Ananias hears the Lord and does what the Lord instructs, freedom and power are then granted to Paul. We want to hear from God. But you and I both know that hearing from God is not always easy. And maybe that's because when God speaks, God often directs us beyond ourselves. 
The work that God calls us to is often kingdom work. It's relationship work. It's hard for me because I can be so self-focused. See, I want to parade things in front of God that are so um, very heavy and weighing on me personally, like my home, my marriage, my children, my friends, my situation. I'm reminded of Jonah in the Old Testament who gets so angry about that shade tree that he's sitting under. The worm comes and attacks the shade tree and the shade tree dies and leaves the sun beating down on his head. He's so angry that he says to the Lord, I could just die. And the Lord says, hey, that shrub, it's just a plant. What about Nineveh? There are thousands of people in Nineveh who don't know their right hand from their left hand. What about my people? Get outside of your own focus in your own world and go and help my people. And then in uh, chapter 10 of Acts, there is this story about Peter having a vision and hearing from God. And in this vision, Peter is invited to expand his diet to those animals who are declared unclean by Jewish law. Peter protests. But the message is what God has made clean, you can't profane. And Peter puzzles about this message. But it's the circumstances of the next day for Peter that give him the meaning to the message, that make the message very clear. So in the middle of the night last night, it wasn't God's voice, but I heard something under my bed. It was like rattling. I was thinking it was a mouse. My husband's gone, so I just took my pillow and went into another bedroom. But I believe that the circumstances of today are going to reveal to me what was under my bed. Like, Keith's going to come home, he's going to pull the bed away from the wall, and we're going to see, is it my imagination? Was it a mouse? Uh, Daniel thought maybe a tarantula? I don't know. (laughs) Not God, but it is so true in our lives that our circumstances reveal to us something that we're hearing. God speaks through circumstances. God speaks through other people. God speaks through dreams. God speaks through visions. God speaks through audible voices. God speaks through the scripture. God speaks through angels. But I think the very most important way that we hear from God in our day-to-day life may be described. 1 Kings chapter 19, and this is a story about Elijah. You know this story because you know this phrase. That there was a still, small voice that was God's voice. The scripture says, Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. But after all of that, there was this still, small voice. It could be translated, some say, a gentle whisper of a voice. I like that phrase, a gentle whisper. Dallas Willard says that these gentle whispers bear the stamp of God's personality in our lives. That they take the form of thoughts, but they are not our thoughts. They reveal the reality of the kingdom of God as we walk along life's path. So Willard devotes a whole chapter in his book on the still small voice because he claims that this is the reliable way 
mature Christians hear from God. In fact, he says the more spectacular the voice of God to the person, the less mature the Christian. But the still small voice is the way that God wants us to hear from him. Proverbs 20 verse 27 says, The human spirit is the lamp of Yahweh, searching the deepest self. The human spirit is like a lamp, like a candle, like God's candle, the Lord's candle. And it searches our deepest self. So it is before this very light, not a booming voice, where I can parade those very deepest parts of my life that I'm concerned about. Concerns about my family, my possessions, my job, my health, my death. My reputation, my appearance, I can parade those things before this light that exists in my spirit, that is unified with the Holy Spirit. And that light will gently, calmly reveal to me God's will. Hearing from God is the mark of, I believe, a great spiritual adventure. And in the next few weeks, we're going to talk more about how to hear from God, about a call on this adventure. Certainly, we all know people who have gone off in the deep end of of this pool. They claim that they know the Lord's voice, that they hear the Lord's voice, but what they really do with their words is they attempt to control the situation or to control people, or even to control God. Two summers ago, my family was down at the beach, and we were swimming in a big new pool there at the beach. Uh, Maybe you've seen a pool kind of like this. It had this great beach entry. It was a big beach entry, and it had plenty of room to hang out in the shallow water that was just ankle deep, so there wasn't much to that water. And then quite a bit of room to swim, And then a really deep, deep part of the pool that led up to this wall that was where a waterfall went over the wall and dropped several feet below. If any person went over that waterfall, they would break a limb. And if anything went over that waterfall, it would be lost. Nobody could get to it. Well, I spent that afternoon hanging out at the beach entry, just in the ankle-deep water, just sitting No workout for me. No risk. But that happened to be the day that I got the worst sunburn. My back just blistered as I sat in the shallow water. So I want you to know as we start to talk about hearing from God, sure, it's dangerous to go off the deep end. That's a dangerous place. But there's injury for those of us who hang out in the shallow waters. That's where your life can be uh, the most blistered, the most burned. Will you pray with me? Eternal God.